I have a few closing comments to make about last week's parable, which was the parable of the vineyard, uh, and a poignant story that Jesus told, uh, teaching us about what the makeup of heaven is and how people get to heaven. You get to heaven not because you deserve to go to heaven, or your works get you there, or your winsome personality got you there, or you gave a lot of money there, but you get to heaven because you've, you've uh, confessed your sins to Jesus Christ. You've accepted him as your Lord and Savior. And at that moment, you see, God dispenses his grace to you, uh, and effectively his grace brings you into heaven, his grace. And so the sovereignty of God just like the story of the vineyard, the owner of the vineyard, who would go out at various times of the day. He started at 6 a.m., then he went at 9, then he went at 12, then he went at 3, and finally he went at 5. And in each and every case, uh, he brought people to the vineyard to work, even though most likely he didn't really need them. They, these were people who were standing around in the marketplace, well, really desperate. You didn't work, you didn't eat in that society. And what he did at the end of the day is he uniformly gave the same rate of pay to people whether they worked at 5 o'clock with only an hour to work or they came at 6 o'clock in the morning, which signified the grace of God, that God dispenses his grace uniformly. You, you come to heaven, God brings you into heaven. It didn't matter really whether you were there at 6 a.m. or whether you were there at 5 p.m. Once you accept Christ, God sees you through the filtering lens of Jesus Christ, and you're in heaven. Of course, there were people that were there at 6 o'clock in the morning who complained. Why not? Really, why not? They complained. They had no job, no prospects of a job. They got paid a denarius, which was far more than they were worth. Uh, and yet they resented the fact that God would dispense his grace, sovereign grace like that. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of people... Uh, in the church world that actually feel like that. You know, there's people that I read that are, are, are unhappy with the story of the thief on the cross. And that's what a point that I made last week. Meaning, here's a guy who was an evildoer, a criminal, uh, an insurrectionist, and yet 30 seconds or one minute before he dies, he effectively recognizes Jesus Christ uh, as the King of Kings and said, Lord, remember me this day when you come into your kingdom. And instantaneously, you see the, the sovereign grace of God comes down. That was a confession of faith as God looked at it. And, and it's interesting because it's not necessarily how we would look for a confession of faith. But it was in a sense, remember me, Lord. I know who you are. Remember me today when you come into your kingdom. And he was saved. Jesus said, this day you shall be with me in paradise. Well, there are people that say, I don't really like that story. That was one minute, two minutes before he dies and a guy could live a reckless life like that? Well, here's the point. That's the economy of God. Get it out of your head that you're not comfortable with it. The point of that was, no matter what kind of desperate life you lived, that when you come to God, even if it's at the 11th hour, God will save you and bring you into heaven. And so we all in that sense, are equal, we all come into heaven together. Now, what I wanted to add to that uh, was the issue of rewards. You don't hear this preached too much, but it's important for people like you to understand that. And that, yes, God brings you equally into heaven. But once you get into heaven, God 
And we don't know much about this, but there are verses in the Bible that make it pretty clear uh, that God will dispense a certain amount of rewards predicated on what you did here to serve him. He will look to see what kind of responsibility he will give you in heaven. That's the nature of the reward. I don't want you thinking I'm going to get a 10,000 square foot mansion on the ocean in heaven. That's what I really want, Jesus. Now, that's not the nature of the reward. The nature of the reward really is what responsibility will you be given in heaven? Uh, he talked about this to the disciples, that, that they would uh, be judges over Israel. Uh, and so I don't know too much about it, but I want you to, to turn, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15. And Paul makes this very clear and says there, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. And someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Very, very profound statement about the nature of what we're going to see when we get on the other side. And so what he's saying there, he's saying effectively that all of us effectively are, are relying on the foundation of Jesus Christ. He is the foundation. Uh, he is the keystone. Everything that we do is predicated on building on that. And that as we go through life, there'll be other people that will be uh, putting out words in which that foundation will be continued to be built upon. And your life will be an example of how that foundation is being built upon. What you do in life, how you advance the kingdom of God, how you are spreading the gospel, how you are being a disciple, all of that builds on the foundation. You're building on the foundation. Now the question becomes this. What is the quality of the foundation that you're building on? The predicate is you're saved. So let's get that out of the way right now. You're saved. But the question is, how are you building on the foundation of salvation? How are you advancing the kingdom of God? And he says this here, uh, metaphorically, he said that some people will build on that foundation using gold, silver, costly stones. Well, those are the highest minerals that you could have in this world. Gold, silver, costly stones. Anybody that's using those things on their foundation, those will last. They will not perish. Uh, they'll be impervious to decay. But then, he goes on to say, but also some people will use wood, hay, or straw. Wood, hay, or straw. Meaning what? Those are subject to decay. That's is people that are building on the foundation in a way that's really not going to be advancing the way God wants the work to be advanced. 
Uh, and I can't give you a, a specific example of that, but I would say that, that, that those kind of things probably tend to be uh, promoting narcissism. Uh, that when we live our life and we then get back, not to focusing on Christ, but to be focusing on ourselves and elevating ourselves, I would say that those things are wood, hay, and straw. When you focus on Jesus and on God in every way, that's gold, silver, and costly stones. Uh, but when you focus on yourself, it's wood, hay, or straw. So what happens now? What happens? You get to heaven. Uh, you get to the other side. Uh, and he said there, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. Well, the day will bring it to life, meaning there will be a time of judgment. Uh, there will be a time when God will look at the life. Yes, you're saved. This has nothing to do with salvation. This has no, really what to do with what God gave you as to how you were saved. It will be revealed by fire, meaning it will be tested. And the fire will test the quality of each person's work. That, that means not only uh, in this world, but in the world to come. The testing uh, of the foundations that you've built your life on. Uh, and so all of this is going to be weighed by God. If what has been built survives, meaning the costly stones, the gold, the silver, that will survive, that cannot be perished. The builder will receive a reward. You will be rewarded. God will reward those things. Now, we know from other areas of Scripture that the reward refers to responsibilities. Uh, and the only thing that I can say, because God, God doesn't tell us everything, but the only thing that I can say is to think about the immense size of the universe. And when you think about the immense size of the universe, who knows what areas in the universe God has other people? I don't know. And, and who knows when, when the Lord returns to this world, uh, and this world will effectively become the new heaven and the new earth, God will want to be able to designate people to be in charge of certain areas of the world. People who will be the emissaries of God. I believe that's the responsibilities that he's talking about. Uh, almost like junior disciples and apostles. Uh, uh, an award of responsibility. And I think that's what we're talking about here. Um, uh, if it is burned up, okay, okay, <clears throat> if it is burned up, uh, uh, the, uh, the builder will suffer loss. And so if, if it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, meaning what he spent his life on, he's saved, but the things that he's, that he's spending his life on will, will not be worthwhile. Uh, but he will be saved. Do you notice that there? He will be saved. And so even in the sense that, that the foundation was strong, but the things that were built on it were not great, he will still be saved, uh, only as one escaping through the flames. Meaning what? God sees, he knows salvation, he understands uh, what he did for you. And so even as you go forward with this, with this understanding, it's important to recognize that God will recognize uh, the advancement of the kingdom of God by his disciples. He will recognize that. You need to be aware of that. Uh, and so the rewards spoken of here are not rewards as we would think of in this life uh, monetarily, but they are, I believe, uh, spiritual uh, and responsible. So I hope that, that gives you some 
guidance on this. We all get into heaven. We uniformly get into heaven, not because of our works. And then, then Jesus will look at the quality of the foundations and what we did with that life. Now, I'm beginning a new parable, and the new parable I'm studying this, time, this week is on the good Samaritan. And I know right now you're saying, oh, I know this. I got this down pat. Uh, and so I pray that somehow I'll say something today that maybe you hadn't heard before through the Holy Spirit, uh, and, and it will uh, enlighten your light. Uh, and I want to drill down deeply on this as we move forward. Now, this, the lesson of the Good Samaritan is not merely an exhortation for humanitarianism. Let's start with that, all right? Uh, the world doesn't understand it. Jesus told this parable not to inspire you uh, to be a good human being uh, or to inspire you for good works. Oh, Jesus was talking really, again, about the kingdom of God, what it means to, to inherit eternal life. How are we supposed to live? Uh, and this had a far deeper, more profound meaning than that. Uh, and Jesus is demonstrating this story to tell us how far we all fall short of the mark. All of us, all of us have fallen short of the mark. Uh, and he's explaining why our good works will never merit entrance into heaven. That's the nature of this story. Your good works will never enter, uh, never compel entrance into heaven. And he's using the story as a predicate to tell a smarmy lawyer, can you imagine that? A smarmy lawyer who was trying to trap Jesus uh, into, uh, uh, into a lesson here about what does it take to have eternal life. Uh, and so this guy was interested in hair splitting, right? He wasn't interested really in hearing the word of God. He really wanted to advance his own interests. Uh, and so Jesus is explaining to us what the law demands of us. Here's the law. You can't live by the law. You need a savior. Uh, and so you see this and understand this. And so uh, as just prior to this a, a parable, Jesus met intense opposition in Galilee. Now, he grew up in Galilee, uh, and he was well-known in Galilee. People knew him as Joseph's son, Mary's son, uh, a carpenter, uh, and, and so they knew him, but he was never received in Galilee. He was never respected. That's why he used that, that phrase, a prophet is not without respect except in his hometown. For that, that was the, the point of that. That was the predicate of that statement. He was never received well in Galilee. And he's going to talk to the disciples about that. And so he says in Luke chapter 10, which is where the parable is found, uh, he says in, in uh, verses 10 to 12, as he's preparing the disciples for what they will see, he says, but when you enter a town, and are not welcome, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Wow. It will be more bearable for Sodom than it will be for those towns that have refused to accept the discipleship of Jesus' people. Um, and these were very serious words. This is all before he utters the words of the, of the uh, 
parable. He then continues on with some very strong and curt words of condemnation for three specific towns. And when I visited Israel, uh, they thought these areas were where those towns were, but actually there's no proof that those towns are even there anymore. I mean, they were basically wiped off the map. Uh, And so his words of condemnation to those cities are some of the harshest words Jesus has ever uttered. Uh, And if you look at Luke chapter 10, verse 13, you see as follows. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, you will be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. But whoever rejects me, rejects him who sent me. And so let me start with the back end of that first, meaning this. You present the gospel to somebody and they reject it. They're not interested in it. Don't think it's because of you personally. It's not you, all right? They're rejecting God, you understand? They're rejecting Jesus. So don't take it personally when people uh, don't seem to be inclined to listen to it. Uh, You read these words and the only thing you can do is get on your knees and pray for these people. You pray for it. I mean, Jesus makes it very clear. Judgment is coming, all right? We don't all sit around a campfire roasting marshmallows. You know, we're all going to heaven. Well, I have to break it to you. No, we're not all going to heaven. That's not what's happening, all right? I want to embrace everybody. I would love everybody to come to heaven, but it's not that case. And here's the God of the universe telling you this. And he's making it very clear about what happens when you go into these areas and you try to spread the gospel and they refuse to hear you. You shake the dust off your feet. Now you notice one of the things that you've learned as you've studied Jesus, he makes it a point to say there's a line in the sand. You know, it's not gray, all right? It's either black or white. You reject me, you reject what I'm saying, I I shake the dust off my feet. And here's the point of this. There is a time when God's message ends. There is a time when the salvation offer ends. Uh, And it had here for these cities. It had. Uh, and, And he makes it clear that these cities are going to suffer tremendous judgment. He even mentions Hades. Uh, And so to me, this is a poignant moment for us to reflect on this as we go out and and reach the lost. We're saved. We want our family to be saved, but there will be other people who will reject the message of Jesus Christ. And there is a judgment. Make no mistake about it. God is love. He is the most incredible kind of love, but he's absolutely holy. Holy absolutely holy. And if he were not holy, uh, everything that he stood for would be repudiated if in fact he wasn't just. And he is totally just. The only thing that keeps us from the fires of hell is his grace and mercy that he gave us Jesus Christ. And that's the message that we have to convey to a lost world. We have to do it. And so it was at this very point that Jesus is preaching. At this point, uh, this lawyer And I'm sad to say, every single time the Bible 
says a lawyer came forward, it's never good. I can't think of one example, you know, that we have the thief on the cross where there's the good thief. But there's no good lawyer. And I, I, that may be very profound in itself. And so here it is. This lawyer comes forth, the legal expert, and of course they were canonical experts, came forward to trap Jesus. How about that? You're a wise guy. You're going to try to trap the creator of the universe. To trap Jesus on a question of eternal life. Now, in the, all of the Gospels, not once did anybody ever trap Jesus. Ever. Okay? They tried. But uh, impossible. And so, uh, the scripture, as we read it, notes his insincerity. It's actually clear. Uh, and so, uh, it, it says, What shall I do to, etern to inherit eternal life? Was just the first in a series of questions this man asked to try to embarrass Jesus. That's what this was about. I'm going to try to trap you uh, with these words. Uh, and so the Old Testament promised, and this is important that you understand this, because if you speak to a lot of Jewish people today, they're very confused. They don't know whether they're going to go to uh, something called the bosom of Abraham, if there's a life hereafter. In fact, most Jewish people that I know uh, tend to think that there really is no afterlife, that, they, that they're not familiar with it. And so the Old Testament, you see, if you studied it, promised eternal life in which true believers would live. It was the bosom of Abraham in the presence of God. Now, most Jews had been taught by their rabbis uh, that their lineage, the chosen people, the circumcision, uh, the sacrifices, uh, qualified them for eternal life. That's what they had been taught. Yet many still remained uncertain of their status. And so Jesus, you see, now answered the question uh, with a question of his own. He says, well, what is written in the law? Uh, and Jesus was referring uh, to that passage in, that was read daily in the synagogues, which was Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 5. And there uh, God said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord, uh, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. That, that was the very basis that started every day in every synagogue in Israel. Uh, and so uh, he answered back in Luke chapter 10, verse 27. He answered, this is the lawyer now, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Bingo. Correct answer. Got it? He had the correct answer. This was the perfect answer. The entire moral content of the law Everything, all the Ten Commandments, all the uh, proscriptions in all of the rabbinical code was all uh, effectively symbolized in that and comprised in these two simple commandments. Well, Jesus told the lawyer that he had answered correctly. Jesus said, do this and you'll have eternal life. Wow, pretty straightforward, right? Now, Jesus was holding up a mirror to this guy, all right? Uh, to demonstrate how the law condemned him. If he had been truly a faithful guy, a submissive guy, what should he have said? Lord, I can't live by the law. 
Every day of my life I fail. I can't love my neighbors. I'm so imperfect in so many ways. Father, I need a savior. I need to be saved. I, I cannot live like this. Uh, that I can't love God the way I should be loved. That would have been the appropriate answer. If you were truly a contrite person coming to Christ, that's, the, that's how you should have acted. Uh, and he should have been penitent, contrite, and humble. Uh, his next question should have been, how can I redeem myself from this failure? You understand? How can I redeem myself from this failure? But he became self-righteous. And isn't this typical of what we see in the world? That when people are confronted by, by their own shortcomings, instead, what do they do? Well, I'm a lot better than the guy down the street. I'm a lot better than the, a lot of other people in my church. I'm there every week. I go to church. I, get, I, I tithe. I do this. I work for this. Uh, instead of focusing on the fact I'm still short of the mark, Lord. I'm short of the mark. Uh, and so he sought to promote this facade, you see, this facade of justification. This was typical of the Pharisees. This is how the Pharisees lived. They were always self-righteous. Why do you think Jesus pointed them out? Here they were, the leaders of the religious movement in Israel, yet they were typically self-righteous. Uh, they never saw themselves uh, as being short of the mark of God. And so Jesus shows incredible compassion to this man uh, because he did not rebuke him harshly. You know, what would we have said if we were Jesus? You're a loser. You have the nerve to talk to me like this? And you're trying to trap me? How dare you? That would be the Jersey Jesus, you see. Thank God that's not the Jesus that we have. Uh, he's not that Jesus. And so instead now... Instead, now you understand how the parable came to be spoken. And so that's what happens. This starts this wise guy trying to trap Jesus. Uh, and, and now I want to get internal, eternal life. And so now Jesus tells him in Luke chapter 10, verse 30, this great story. In reply, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. Now let me stop and tell you historically that that is a 17-mile winding road that drops about 4,000 feet. It is filled with caves and cliffs and passages where people can hide. It is winding. It is dark. It is dangerous. Nobody would be basically walking on that by themselves. It would be a dangerous thing to do. Well, of course, this poor victim is walking on it. Uh, uh, when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. You get it? That's the story right now. And so a priest happened to be going down the same Road, and that's a Jewish priest, not a Roman Catholic priest. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds 
pouring on oil and wine. And he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarius and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. The fact that Jesus answered this, this man in itself was an incredible act of grace. Uh, this story is so warm-hearted and full of restraint. And you see this story, uh, and you see it. And so what, what Jesus is showing is here's a priest, a man who, sh- who knew the law inside out. He studied the law. He preached on the law. He was responsible uh, for the law. And yet when he saw this victim, what did he do? He walked on the other side of the street. He didn't want to see him. He didn't want to be involved, okay? So for all of the legal applications that they have, uh, that this young man just gave, and all of it was for naught, because the priest, despite the fact that he was fully uh, invested in the law, didn't apply the law to his life. And he walked on the other side of the street. Uh, And so also the Levites. Now the Levites were the tribe in Israel out of which all of the priests came. The Levites were very involved in work at the synagogue. That That was their life. He goes by. He sees the same thing. He's very familiar Uh, with the regulations of the law. And as he sees this poor unfortunate victim, he walks on the other side. I don't want to be involved. That's not my purview. I'm not interested in that. And then Jesus takes the Samaritan. He takes the Samaritan, the most reviled person. The Samaritan, a person who would have been reviled by any self-respecting Jew. You know, they despise the Samaritans because uh, about the year 700 B.C., the Samaritans were in northern uh, Israel and they were invaded and they were taken prisoner by the Assyrians. And when they were taken prisoner by the Assyrians, uh, many of them uh, began to intermarry with the Assyrians. uh, And as a result, that diluted the Jewish heritage. And so they even began to to have a different kind uh, of religion. They didn't believe that Jerusalem was the holy city. uh, And they really kind of fell away from where they had been. Well, as a result, if a Jew came across a Samaritan, he would have to purifully, uh, uh, basically sacrifice and wash because they viewed that as an imperfect uh, relationship. And so here it is, this guy comes there, and this guy takes this man up. This guy, and by the way, understand that the victim was a Jew. Uh, That's implicit in that. He was a Jew. And so the Samaritan takes care of the Jew, puts him on his donkey, brings him to an inn. He then uses all of his own resources. Uh, He bandages him up. He purifies his wound. He brings him to the inn. He pays for for the the man to be held at the inn. And then he promises the innkeeper, I'm going to be away, but when I come back, I'll pay you for anything that you need. This is some story. This is how God says, this is how you work with the kingdom of God. This is is how you treat your neighbor. And so this is really, as Jesus tells this story, uh, and I'm, consu- I'm sure he brings the man into the story uh, because he starts with a bit of hope. Oh, a priest. A priest comes by. Well, that's good. That's going to be good. The priest is coming in. Uh, and, and yet, you see how the priest acts. The hope is short-lived. 
This priest does not live according to the law. He goes out of his way to avoid the injured man. He had no compassion whatsoever for people in dire distress, which was typical of the Pharisees. The Pharisees had no compassion for the people of God, no compassion for people who were in dire distress. How many times did they castigate Jesus because he had the nerve to heal people on the Sabbath? You're violating the Sabbath. They didn't care about the need of the people who were broken and lame and blind. And Jesus' heart, heart broke for them. Uh, and, and so Jesus is demonstrating to us that the answer about righteous compassion is that it is narrow. Righteous compassion is narrow. This is what righteous compassion is all about. Uh, the duties of a righteous man a godly man, are not limited to the definition of a neighbor. Don't be focusing on who is my neighbor. Everyone is your neighbor. You understand that? If you're a man of God, you're a godly man, don't ask that question, who is my neighbor? That's outrageous. Uh, and, and we are compelled, as the men and women of God, to extend mercies and kindness even to enemies and aliens. Can I get an amen? You understand this? We are compelled to advance the mercy of God uh, to those kind of priests. And so here the priest is who had full knowledge of the law, uh, was familiar with the duties of the law. You understand how the law doesn't save? The law doesn't save. Without the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ, what does the law do? It's like a welcome mat. Uh, that you see and then you ignore uh, in such a way. Uh, and so the person who should have helped walks away and ignores it. The next is the Levite. Uh, and all priests come from the, tri uh, the tribe of Levi. They served in subordinate roles in, in the uh, synagogue as well and in the temple. He, he knew the law. Uh, and yet even though he knew the law, he knew the substance of the law. The law does not save. This is the message of Jesus Christ in this powerful story. The law doesn't save. The priest knew the law. The Levite knew the, the law. Yet in both cases, they ignored the law uh, because they didn't have the grace and mercy of God. Uh, and you see this here. Uh, and so neither of these men, neither the Levite nor the priest, was fit for heaven. They were not fit for the kingdom of God. They did not live godly lives. Uh, and they did not keep God's commandments. How about that? They didn't keep the commandments of the law. Yes, they knew the law, but they ignored the law. You see? And the reason for that is we can't live by the law. If you think the law is going to save you, if you think I'm going to decide I'm keeping up with the, with the Ten Commandments, uh, and at the first night after you've made this promise to yourself, you're feeling pretty good, you know, uh, I've lived up to the Ten Commandments. And at that very moment, you've broken a commandment. Because pride has entered your heart. Pride has entered your heart when you couldn't possibly have, have uh, lived the way God wanted us to live. Where so much of the sin that we deal with is in our minds. The lust of the heart. You understand? The lust of the flesh. We understand this. And this is what happens. Uh, and so here these two guys faced with an urgent need. They refused uh, to help. They doused their conscience with the water of self Righteous pride. Uh, 
Self-righteous pride. Oh, yes, we are the chosen people. We live according to the law. Uh, and this is the attitude that we see precisely today in humanity. Uh, and when we see a need, the question is this. As men and women of God, when we see a need, uh, do we say to ourselves, what can I do to get involved? Or do I say, hmm, I don't really want to get involved. I don't really want to get involved. When we ask ourselves, uh, really, are we suffering from indifference? Uh, and this is the unmistakable point that Jesus is making as he introduces us to the Good Samaritan. Again, let me emphasize, this is not about humanitarianism. It is about the recognition that all of us fall short of the mark. The priest and the Levite were emblematic of the law. And even though they espoused the law in every way, they didn't live according to the law. And don't tell me who was my neighbor. Don't tell me that question. Uh, and so you see this here in this very poignant story. The Samaritan takes center stage, uh, he, and he becomes the main point of the lesson. Notice how this man loves. I mean, this is a lesson in the nature of, of, of the love of God. This man is an outcast. He's an outcast, the Samaritan, uh, but he's moved by compassion. Uh, his heart went out to the suffering man. He bandages the man up. He cleans his wounds. He sanitizes the wounds. Everything that he does for this man comes from his own possessions. He puts the man on his own horse and lets him ride in on it. Uh, and so he's sacrificing everything that he has for a guy that he does not know. And isn't that the lesson for us? That God is calling us to reach out to people that we don't know. That God is saying to us, don't live by the law. Live by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Because if you live by the law, you will be doomed by the law. Uh, and, and so it's such a poignant story to me. Now the key points that the Samaritan never asked, and this I want to hone in on you, the Samaritan never asked, who is my neighbor? He didn't ask that question. Who was my neighbor? Uh, because his heart was full of love and compassion and mercy. When he saw the need, he acted. The better question for you to ask is this. Whose neighbor am I? All right? If you don't hear anything else I said today, you can write that down. Whose neighbor am I? That's what God wants you to ask. Whose neighbor am I? Uh, the answer is everyone in need. That's our responsibility. Everyone in need. Uh, and we all tend to pamper ourselves uh, and think about it. Uh, when we're sick, we try to find the best doctors. Uh, when we're under the weather, we do the same thing. We take care of ourselves. So we understand that. Uh, God wants you to take care of yourself. Uh, but Jesus is saying you have to think about those people who are lost and are desperate for attention, who God may put in front of your uh, windshield. And by the way, here's the point of this. God is going to put certain people in front of you that deserve your attention. That's the thing. God is going to inevitably put people in front of you. And when he puts people in front of you, you need to step up. You need to step up. 
That's the lesson here. That's the message. Uh, you know, if everyone in this world lived the way the Samaritan lived, the generosity of the Samaritan wouldn't be so incredible. But you know, it's like this. We study this story and people hear this story. They go, whoa, man, what a great story. Whew, nobody lives like that. We should all be living like that. Every single one of us should be living like this. This is, this is the bar set for us. That's what Jesus is doing. And so here is, the, here is the significant issue that needs to be considered. The law demands that you love like this all the time. The law demands. The law demands that you love like this all the time. The law demands perfection. Perfection. James chapter 2 verse 10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking all of it. Period. Whoever stumbles at one point, but it was only one minor point. I did 99 out of 100. Don't I get an A plus? No, you get an F. You understand? That's God's marking system. No, no, you got 99 out of 100? That's an F. That's an F. That's failure. That's failure. You have failed because you have not kept the complete law. Unless you keep the law completely, you fail it. Uh, and, and so, what, what a story this is. What a story this is. And so, Jesus, you know, you break one point of the law, you break all of it. Uh, and so, Jesus says, his, his command at the end is beautiful. Go and do likewise. How about that? Go and do likewise. Now, if you were a person that heard this, you heard the, the story of the Good Samaritan, you would say, God, I can't do it. I can't do this. I can't live the way you think I should live. Help me, Father. I need a Savior. How do I forget, get forgiveness, Lord? How do I get your mercy and love into my life? I can't do it. You don't see this guy saying that. We see him walk off. He disappears from the Bible. Uh, and so it's a very sad ending. Now, we don't know whether later on he comes to terms with this uh, and comes to the Lord. But as we read this, this story, we don't see it. Uh, and so there is a deeper lesson here as well. Uh, the way that the Good Samaritan dispensed love to the in injured man is the way God dispenses love to the sinner. You see? This is another example of the economy of God. This is how God advances his mercy and love to sinners. This is what he's done for you. As if you were the person who was fallen on the road. God saw you. He bandaged your wounds. He cleaned up your wounds. He raised you up. He helped you. Uh, and he saved you. You see, and so God, as he did that for you, he gave his own son effectively as the propitiation for everything that went wrong in your life. That's what God give, gave for you. That's the nature of this story. And so look, that's why I'm saying to you, it's much deeper than a story about humanitarianism. Uh, God gave his own son to be the eternal payment uh, for sinners who deserve nothing more than eternal damnation. Go and do likewise. I can't, Lord. I can't do likewise. I can't live like this. 
I can't live knowing that if I fail 90, I pass 99 out of 100, but that last point is an F. I can't live my life like this. And God says, I know, but I love you. And I'm going to pour my grace and mercy into your heart. And I'm going to give you a savior that will save you and that you don't have to worry about missing one point of the law. As you go through for the rest of your life, your life will be changed forever. Look, if that lawyer had only confessed his own inability to live with what the law demanded, if he had only said that, Lord, I need mercy and grace, Jesus would have been absolutely ready to pour it into his life and to embrace him and to take him on as a disciple. But instead, you see, that's not what he had in mind. He wasn't interested in forgiveness. He was interested in self-justification. Self-justification. You're not going to heaven. You're not going to be with God if self-justification is the essence of your life. It's only when you're broken and recognize that you need a Savior that you will be saved. Uh, And so here, apparently, this is the end of the story. Uh, In that sense, uh, he publicly was disgraced, this lawyer, uh, in his failed attempt uh, to win a verbal battle with Jesus. That's the other lesson. Don't try to win a verbal battle with God. All right? Don't sit there and, and, and really mull up your own human philosophies as you try to find some way to, to argue your way into heaven. You're doomed if that's what you're going to do. We know it's made it perfectly clear. You're only going to get to heaven because of what Jesus did for you. Only one way. Only one way, not a thousand. And this is the message you have to give to your friends and the outside world. You have to convey this message. Uh, and so people read, you know, in the secular world, they read the story of the Good Samaritan and they think it's an example of humanitarianism. Well, it is an example of humanitarianism, but it's far deeper than that because it, in essence, is, is the love of of God, how we bow to the love of God, how we are to live our lives. Forget the law. You can't live by the law. Uh, and so this must be our response to a law, to a lost world. Amen, folks? Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you so much for what you've given us today, the story of the Good Samaritan. Lord, I pray that it grows in our heart and resonates in our heart as we walk closer with you every day, that we recognize and tell the world you can't live by the law. Don't think you're a moral person or a good person. You're far from the mark, but instead as we bow to you and say, Lord, I need a Savior, you pour grace and salvation into our heart. Bless our people. Be with them this week, Lord, and protect them and bring them back safely next week to continue the study of your word as we put all of this in Jesus' precious name.